morning, everyone. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be opening God's Word with you this morning. And I was thinking of putting a few football-related puns into my sermon in honor of the World Cup. Um, but I, uh, <laughs> yes, I decided that would be an unhelpful goal to shoot for. And so I, I passed on the opportunity. My title is Rest for the Weary. And I hope that we can all find comfort and encouragement this morning. Uh, this is one of those passages um, that you might have on your fridge door. It's super well known and it's rich with meaning. So why don't we dive straight in? And uh, we're reading from Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. And I've got two translations today. You can read it in whatever one you want, but I've got the ESV and the message version as well. So the ESV says, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the message says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. It's just such a beautiful verse. You can just take it and receive it almost just as it is right there. But we're going to... We're going to unpack that a little bit. So rest, it really is a wonderful thing, as we all know. We all need it, and we all rest in different ways. Maybe it's having a lion or going away for the weekend or going for brunch on Saturdays at the Waffle House, um, whatever it is. And as we start to get our heads in gear of rest, why don't you just turn to the person next to you and ask them, how do you like to rest? And if you're watching online, please do post in and tell us how you like resting as well. And we'll read those. All right, let's rein it in. Lots of animated conversations there. Are we all feeling rested? So, we all need rest, and we all do it in different ways, uh, but there are some essential components to any form of rest. So, rest has to be a break from work. Um, maybe we leave the office, maybe leave the house, and we do something that brings us life and restores us. Here's a fun fact about rest. If you live to 80 years old, uh, the average person, if you added up all the hours of sleep that you would have, you would sleep for 26 years. So that's almost a third of your life is just asleep, which is so interesting. And then slightly more depressingly, if, if you spend 26 years sleeping, you will also spend seven years of your life trying to get to sleep, which is so sad, um, if anyone can relate to that. I wonder how you feel hearing the words of Jesus, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, you who are tired and worn out. How familiar do those words feel to our daily experience? These days, when asking a friend how they're doing, you'd be more accustomed to hear the answer, yeah, I'm okay, a bit tired, than uh, yes, I'm really great, thanks. I feel rested, I've had eight hours of sleep, and I'm managing to balance work, family life, and rest perfectly. 
That would be quite an unusual answer. And if that's you today, then you should probably be up here speaking instead of me. So, uh, pardon me. Yeah. Oh, I've lost my place already. Give me two seconds. I need a rest. Thank you, Stuart. Um, yes. So the questions we're asking today are universal. So firstly, why do we need rest? And secondly, how does Jesus give us this rest? So really simple today. Why do we need it? And how do we get it? And why do we need rest? It's quite obvious in many ways. We have busy lives. And yet there is a deeper truth that I think Jesus is alluding to this morning. And as we talked about, there's a physical sense, uh, physical sense in which we need rest, like getting sleep, setting appropriate work boundaries, that kind of thing. And even Jesus knew how to rest. He had the most important work in history, but he knew and he was disciplined to take himself off, find a place to rest and to renew. And the Bible offers us a lot of wisdom on rest, as, as we may know. And one of the most obvious ways uh, that the Bible teaches us about rest is through the practice of Sabbath. And I'm just going to say a small bit about Sabbath before we move on. Uh, because Sabbath recognizes our need for physical and emotional rest. But it also recognizes a deep spiritual rest that lies behind those. It's not simply a case of stopping work just for a day. It's also a day to remember our story. That we, like the Israelites in Egypt, were in slavery, but we have now been liberated. Uh, we don't need to be slaves to our work or to our, our expectations or other people's expectations and demands. Uh, we are free in Christ, and that is what we celebrate in the Sabbath as well. So Sabbath is about rest and liberation. The crowds that Jesus was addressing in Matthew 11 were also much in need of rest. They were a marginalized race under the oppression of the Romans. We know they were being taxed very heavily by the Romans as well, and that was crippling families and businesses. And spiritually, they were also under a burden, sometimes called the, the yoke of the Torah. And the law given by Moses, it was intended to bring life, and yet it had become a burden on their shoulders, uh, imposed by the religious leaders of the day. And they're being squashed under the weight of this strict moral and social law in the hope that God would see them as righteous or as worthy or worthy of redeeming. I wonder what you think the main barriers of rest are for you as a 21st century St. Albanite. Just like them, we have social, financial, and spiritual burdens. Work, family life, financial insecurity, continued ill health perhaps, even the injustices of social prejudice. All the demands and struggles of life require us to rest physically and emotionally. And behind these physical and emotional rests, needs for rest, there is that deeper rest. And that is the rest for the soul. The restless soul must find its rest in Jesus. Without soul rest, our physical and emotional resting will only go so far. Just the same principle as with sleep. Um, the usual advice we hear is get, get your eight hours of sleep. The scientists say even if you get eight hours, and if, you, if you're interrupted through the night and therefore don't go into REM, so rapid eye movement sleep, even though you've had eight hours, you'll wake up exhausted nonetheless. I'm sure you can relate if you've had kids or like Alex and I, uh, we got a puppy. So the first few months of that was kind of waking up at stupid hours, taking little Rosie out to the toilet time. You wake up exhausted. 
And it's the same for our souls. You know, we can take time off, we can have breaks and holidays, go out for brunch. Um, but if we aren't getting the deep inner rest, the REM of the soul will never fully enter the rest that only Jesus can give us. So what is it that makes our soul restless? And in reading around this topic, I came across a Jewish psychiatrist in New York. Her name was Judith Shulevitz, and she writes a book on work and Sabbath. And she describes the experience of deep spiritual unrest like this. She says, It is the machinery of self-censorship, the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. I'll read that again. The machinery of self-censorship, the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. I find this phrase very powerful, the idea of a, a constant restless questioning and striving. It feels quite familiar in many ways. And it affects all of us, the inner murmur. The questioning of the soul asking, am I good enough? It's a need to prove that we're worthy. And I think this is echoed really wonderfully in the film Chariots of Fire. Anyone seen the movie? Maybe you've heard the theme tune. I'm not going to sing it. She's got it. <laughs> There's two runners, if you haven't seen it, they're competing in the 1924 Olympics, Eric Liddell and Harold Abrahams, and they're both running, one for his faith, and one to try and escape social prejudice. And there's this moving scene where Harold is reflecting upon the race upcoming, and he says this. That's your secret, contentment. I am 24, and I've never known it. I'm forever in pursuit, and I don't even know what I'm chasing. And now, in one hour's time, I will be out there again with 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. But will I? This man has put his identity and his worth into his ability to win this race. And if he loses, it will crush him. And yet the sad irony is that he wins it, and yet it's never enough. There's always another race, another need to prove oneself. And we can adopt this same attitude so easily. Sometimes life can feel a bit like a competitive sport, can't it? We start thinking, if I can just prove myself in my work, or with how I lead my family, or my parenting, or in my relationships, then my life will have significance. And when we do this, our self-image rests upon meeting standards or living up to goals. And I'm sure, as we've all experienced to some degree, this is tiring and the work is never enough. And even this kind of attitude can find its way into our relationship with God. If we don't fully work the gospel into our hearts, we start you know, thinking these things like, if I can just sort out my life, if I can show that I'm a good Christian to other people, um, you know, try and be a really good person, then surely then God will love me more and he'll accept me. And that is the heart of legalistic and transactional religion. It's the inner murmur of self-reproach. It's tiring and it's never fully satisfying. Now, please don't tune out at this moment. We've found ourselves in the pit of inner murmurings, and we're now going to be lifted out. Um, so do stay with me. So what is Jesus' response to our labors, to our weariness, to our inner restlessness and murmurings? And this verse is such a reminder of how kind he is, how gentle and humble he is. And his, weariness, his response to our weariness is this, as we've read. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. God is good. And I want to expand on two invitations here. Firstly, Jesus says, come to me. And secondly, he says, take my yoke upon you. And both of these invitations hold the promise of rest.
So come to me, the first invitation Jesus says. And this is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian, to realize that we're restless, that we are in need of saving, and to fall upon the mercy of God. Come to me and I will give you rest. No need for qualifications, no need to get your life together. Just come to me. And so how does this, how does this coming to Jesus give us rest? Let's for a moment just look at the first mention of rest in Genesis, found on page one of the Bible, so it's clearly important to God. After God creates the earth and the heavens and all the creatures finishing with humanity, he rests. And he's able to look at his work and say, it is good. And even actually after making us, he says, it is very good. And that's rest, being able to put down your work and say, it is good, it is finished, it is rest. And the problem for us is that when we look back on the work of our lives, um, how we've lived, none of us can say it is good, it is finished, or it is rest. None of us can fully say that, and I know I can't. We try and try to be you know, a good person, a good Christian, but the work is impossible without God, and that's the whole story of the Bible, and human experience just tells us that's true. We've all fallen short. Uh, it's at the heart of our restlessness. And yet by grace, when we come to him, he says, your work doesn't define you, my work does. He says, your suffering doesn't define you, my suffering does. He says, your righteousness doesn't define you, mine does. And we receive his perfect righteousness in place of our disobedience because he took our sin, because of his perfect obedience and his indescribable love for us, because he wants us to rest with him and to be with him so much that he would go to the cross and in his dying breath, he would stretch out his arms and say, it is finished. It is good. It is finished. Do you know that when God looks at you, for all those who are in Christ, he doesn't see your faults. What he sees is the righteousness of Christ. And he says over your life, it is good. And that's the rest for our souls. And it could be that we could be seen, that we could be known by the holy of holies, that we could bring all our worries and sins to the foot of the cross. And in turn, hear our father say, this is my child whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And as we receive this love, it drives out that inner murmur that says, I'm not good enough. There's just no place for that when we hear the love of the Father. And I find I have to receive this love and ask for it again and again every day. Otherwise, I just creep into that mindset of proving and striving. And that's what I want to talk about next. How do we walk daily in, as the message version says, in the unforced rhythms of grace? Not the laws of duty, but the rhythms of grace. We rest with him so that we can walk and work with him. And this is, coming back to the Sabbath very briefly, um, it's mirrored in the whole practice of the Sabbath. They rest on the first day of the week as, uh, as an act of celebration and deliberation, not ending the week as a reward for their works. And I don't know about you, but I usually think of Monday as the start of our week, and the weekend rest kind of finishes the week. But what would it look like if we took our Sabbath practice on and started our week on a Saturday and let that fuel our week from a place of refreshment? The blueprint that God gives us for work and rest is that we find rest in the knowledge that we're loved and then our work flows out from this grace. So, walk with me and work with me. 
This phrase, um, take my yoke, which we heard from the ESV, uh, it's maybe not massively familiar to you unless you grew up on a farm, which I didn't, but maybe you did. And uh, I've actually got a picture of it here. So this is a yoke. So Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Oh, wait, not that one. Can we have the next one, please, Danielle? That's my second joke of the talk and final joke. Um, this is a yoke. Um, if you can see, it's a, li a little bit bright in here today, but there's this wooden crossbeam, and it's joining these two animals together and anchoring them to a plow or uh, some work equipment behind them. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. And he's not the first person to say this phrase. It was a picture of becoming a disciple to a rabbi in his day. So he's using this phrase, take my yoke. And it meant submitting yourself fully to a master. The disciple wouldn't just kind of call up and meet for a coffee on a Tuesday with his master. He would literally relocate, spend his whole time um, with the master, learning from him, being with him. And Jesus invites us to submit ourselves completely to him, that he would be Lord over our life, over our decisions, to be yoked with him, that we would share in the work with him. And our secular society prides itself on personal freedom and being able to make our own choices. And any sense of coming under kind of a yoke or under a master sounds very anti-freedom. Yet Jesus is questioning, how free do you actually think you are? Because this verse implies to us, before we've even come to Jesus, that we're actually already under a yoke. Wherever you place your worth or your identity, that's what you're yoked to. Um, it becomes the goal to which all your efforts are focused. And so Jesus isn't, when he says, take my yoke, he isn't adding extra weight to our shoulders. He's actually saying, take that yoke off. Um, it's, it's heavy. It's not going to fulfill you. And take my yoke, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And as we submit ourselves to the mastery of Jesus, we free ourselves from the mastery of other things. So as we are yoked to Jesus, we begin to walk through life in the way that he wants, the way that he teaches through his word and his spirit, as we know. Jesus doesn't pro uh, promise that we won't have troubles. He doesn't promise that we won't have pain or physical and emotional weariness. What he does promise is that he will give us deep inner rest and that he will give us inner strength to walk through the many trials of life and not be overwhelmed. That's his promise. And he will be with us. I was chatting to Clive earlier this week and he was telling me about this art gallery that he visited um, on exhibition at some point this year. And it was all, all about peace. And I had lots of beautiful paintings of sunsets and, you know, streams and whatever else, still waters. And then he came across this painting that was of this kind of cliff edge. And it was in the storm, it was in the rain, and it was being absolutely battered. Um, but as you kind of move into the picture, you see actually in the cliff is this little ledge. And nestled in this overhanging ledge is a dove, and it's nestled just above its chicks. And this is a picture of the true rest of Christ, that despite the storm, despite the rains, he is our shelter, he is our security, and he will give us rest for the soul. So just to speak practically for a moment, we're just going to say um, three things about being a disciple. There's loads of things. I've just got three. You'll be pleased to hear. Just three. So being with the master, learning their teachings, and eating with him. So proximity, obe obedience, and feasting. Our priority rhythm is 
Simply spend time with Jesus. The disciples learned not only the teachings of Jesus, but they came to know him intimately as a friend. They would just walk everywhere with him in every situation in life. They were with him. And through this proximity, they grew to be like him in character. So just very simply, how do we be with Jesus? I would suggest rest with him in prayer before the day starts, before anything happens. Be with Jesus, even if it's just five minutes, just making time with Jesus a priority. That's what it means to be yoked to him, to be with him. And, you know, it's, it's, it's proximity and it's his presence that transforms us. So that's the first thing, proximity. Secondly, not only did the disciples spend time with Jesus, but they learned the teachings of Jesus, and they came to know them really well. Um, so they learned obedience to his teachings. So how can we learn his teachings? Again, we know it's by spending time on his word. There's no shortcuts, really. Um, he teaches us very, very clearly. And it's, it's such a privilege that we have the Bible so readily available on, on our phone, in our apps, in our, you know, on paper. It's, um, it's a real privilege. And not only in his presence, but in his teachings can we find rest. So if we just, I've, I've taken a few bits from Psalm 96 um, and put them all together. But David says this about the law of God, the word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect. It refreshes the soul. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. They are more precious than gold, and they are sweeter than honey. In obedience to God's ways, we will find rest, we'll find joy, we'll find clarity and satisfaction. So get to know it. Let it be the loudest voice that we hear. And let's wrestle with the command, love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And when we take these commands and apply them to our individual scenarios, wherever we are, we find life and we find rest. And it's also just, it's so powerful when you see someone who has taken that um, it's like, you know, moths to a flame. People will see you, and they will see that you are loving your Lord, and you are loving your neighbor. So, what have we done? Let's recap. We've had proximity and obedience, and finally, feasting. We eat with him. So, with him, the disciples were with him, um, and they ate with him, and in doing so, they shared his life. And we can also share in his life through the Lord's Supper. So we're actually going to break bread just as we finish um, today, and we're going to do that together as a family. And when we break bread together and remember that it's because of his body and his blood that we are free, we have fellowship with him in this great mystery. And because of his death and resurrection, we can be assured of rest now and also the rest of eternity to come. And Jesus promises us that if we come to him, he will never drive us away. And that we will be with him in paradise for eternity, where there's no crying, where there's no pain and no death. And it's so important as we journey in this life that we have this hope to help us through the different trials and difficulties. So that we can say with Paul in Romans, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And this is the hope held out by the church, the early church, and many, many of his followers um, through the ages and helping them hold fast to the gospel. And as Ed has just said, those of us who knew Jenny are sad um, that she has passed this week. Um, those people like Carol and Clive have, have told me who've been with her in these last kind of few days and weeks, she remains incredibly hopeful 
and peaceful in the face of death because of this hope. And her wishes were to go and be with Jesus. And this hope comforts all of us as well, knowing that she is truly at rest right now. She is with all the saints before our Father, singing the eternal song. And so as we come to the Lord's table this morning, let's remember the rest that he so wants to give us right now and for eternity. By his body, we are free. Through his blood, we can rest. And Emma, if you're happy to to come up and do keys. I'm just going to read the last line of this um, modern hymn, In Christ Alone, and then Ed's going to take us through communion. And let's just receive these words. What heights of love... What depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when strivings cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, and thank you, Jesus and Holy Spirit, for your amazing love for us, for your rest that you want to give us this morning. The end to our weariness and our strivings and the inner murmur and that we're not good enough, Lord. Thank you that... You say we are um, because of your sacrifice. And we just receive it again this morning. And as we eat and drink in communion, would you be with us in a special way this morning? Would you presence yourself among us? In your holy name, amen.